That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, we are, uh, we're here, so when we're still alive, and it's, uh, it's another episode of the same old song. Um, so here we are looking at the sixth Sunday of Easter, um, although it feels like the uh, 26th Sunday after Easter. So um, how are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing okay. We had our Zoom meeting, our staff Zoom meeting this week, and uh, somehow it turned into a thing where we all were wearing hats for no mm. reason. We just all had hats lying around. And I think, uh, who knows, next week maybe it'll be like plaid day, and then we'll mm. be paisley face mask day we're just was, i think everybody's getting a little punchy was anybody wearing a hat from milo's in waco texas oh like look have? at you mm-hmm. you have a hat from milo because your wife ate there with me sarah condon and my wife andrea yeah it was a good time uh i think i know i didn't have a milo hat i did have a neon yellow hat it looks like a construction worker's hat that's what i put on that's my running cap it's not oh, as cool okay. as the running rev hat that i have that you gave me but it was the one that was closest yeah. at hand. But we're not here to talk about hats. Uh, we're here to tell people about these readings for Easter six. But before we do so, are you okay? I'm doing uh, ready. I'm doing great and uh, hanging in there. So um, yeah. So we uh, my my kids actually have all these like now cool face masks that uh, people have homemade. So my son wears a Captain America one, and uh, when we go out, and he wants a, um, he's becoming kind of one of these, like, I guess in culture, what they call hype beasts, like he likes shoes, and and I mean, God, he's like 10, and he already knows about Supreme, and uh, funny story, but he was like, he was like, I want one, I want an Yves Saint Laurent face mask, and I was like, not in my house, so, um, (laughs) but uh, it, uh, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, but um. I'm uh, I'm getting a bit zoomed out, if you ask me. So, um, but um, there it is. So, well, it's time to zoom in on the scriptures. Yeah, zoom in. Let's do it. So we oh, are yeah. um, talking about the uh, sixth Sunday after Easter, and uh, the sixth Sunday of after Easter, things kind of flow around this idea of apologetics and kind of uh, the defense of the faith and uh, and the good news that. Um, Really, Christianity is more than a feeling. It's uh, it's um, about something. More than a feeling. Yeah, Sorry. although it feel it touches the feelings and everything like that. But there is there is something profoundly objective about it that speaks to our deeply subjective uh, angst. And uh, and so we have our readings today: Acts chapter seventeen, verses twenty-two through thirty-one; First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen through twenty-two. And the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. And so we start here in Acts with St. Paul, the, uh, the wolf whom God transformed into a shepherd, there in Athens in the Areopagus. And uh, what do you think's going on here, Aaron? 
Yeah, so Areopagus or Areopagus, Areopagus, or however you want to pronounce or mispronounce it, that is a word that means Mars, the god Ares, uh, and then Pegus or something, meaning hill. So uh, this is also called Mars Hill, Mm. and a lot of Christian ministries like to use that name for their ministry because it's a place where Paul talks Mm. to these Gentile people, these smart, philosophical, intellectual people uh, who love to come here uh different teachers teach kind mm-hmm. of ted talks of ancient greece of the ancient world these were uh places where you could gather and hear these people talk about how, how to have a good life what the, what meaning was and what knowledge was and all that stuff so paul is in the midst of his second mis- missionary journey and he has come out of his home church in antioch and kind of northern like right above israel and syria and he comes over through turkey and then crosses over into Europe, into the Balkans, and then comes down because he gets into some hot water and he comes down uh, to Athens. And he's kind of hanging out there while he's still waiting for uh, Timothy and some other of his ministry companions to join him. And while he's there, as we see in this passage, he walks around and he um, walks around enough to know the people to whom he's speaking. And this is an incredible thing because Christianity, obviously in its early days, was primarily a religion for Jewish people who were now finding Christ to be the Messiah. Uh, And then in the book of Acts, you start to have the message cross over uh, to be able to communicate to Gentiles, non-Jews. And Athenians, I mean, these people are the, the people that combine devotion to Greco-Roman religious practices uh, all those ruins that we go see in museums of ancient Greek stuff, or if you go to Greece and you see the actual ruins, these these were the religious systems of the day. And there was also the, these philosophical systems. So what's interesting, if you, um, uh, Tom Holland talks about this in his book Dominion, there was a time when they were looking at the, um, the, the there was some clerk in Athens that found, it's a true story, found... Um, some sacrifices they were supposed to be doing to various Greek gods, and they realized they had been remiss. They had neglected to offer these sacrifices because the gods were, there was some problem going on in the town, and they thought the gods were angry with them. And they realized that if they wanted to make up all the backlog of sacrifices, they would actually bankrupt the city. It would be so many animals to slaughter and offer. So all that to say is there's this huge sacrificial system And there's this philosophical system. But Paul doesn't come in like a fire and brimstone televangelist and say, y'all are all going to hell and these are demon gods you're worshiping. Instead, he starts with this positive note. He's taking time to observe who they are, which is why the gospel always has to come in, not with a word of judgment, but a way of building a bridge and a way of kind of showing some respect, almost imputing to them something they don't have. But it's clear that he's he's honoring and respecting them even though they're crazy as hell. So yeah. he says, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. I looked around at your city. I took the time and I saw that you had an inscription to an unknown God. Now let me tell you who it is. And mm. that's that. That's the kind of gospel move here. You don't come in with judgment. You don't come in with lecture. You come in with, um, let me learn about you and hear from you first. And then once you've established that connection, then you can speak to them. And that's where Paul goes. And he quotes two pagan poets here. In verses 17 um, and, uh, what is it? Yeah, verse 28. Uh, sorry, verse 17, 28, and verse, um, yeah, well, I guess it's both in that verse, verse 28. What's interesting, too, we have that quote here, in him we live and move and have our being, which is 
you and I know that, Jake, because it's it's scripture. Here it is, mm-hmm. and it's quoted in one of the collects that is in the Episcopal prayer book. But it's actually a pagan poet who said it, and Paul is quoting it. So it's yeah. just a kind of a fascinating little little piece there. That was a yeah. long thing on this yeah. passage. I think, uh, but, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think this kind of apologetically speaking, this reminds us, you know, what 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 Christianity is. So many people want to approach Christianity. You've been talking about from like the top down. You know, and, uh, you know, um, this sort of like there's like this presupposition and this expectation that people should just kind of, you know, oh, accept our message because, you know, we know the truth and you don't. And uh, this is a horrible way to speak to people and share the gospel with people. Rather, instead, what we see St. Paul doing here is uh, working from the bottom up. Um, he's He's meeting people exactly where they're at. And I think, you know, this is one of the things that I've always loved about Mockingbird, and uh, what a lot of people don't understand about what we do is that we uh, attempt to engage people with, like, the, with Christianity where they're at. Um, and, and I think that that is helpful for any apologetic. It's not necessarily like a giant ministry of affirmation, how that can, that can, be, it can be misunderstood that way, but it's a, it's a profound ministry of relation. And this is what St. Paul is doing here. He's meeting the Athenians right where they're at. He knows their culture. Um, and so, and he quotes their poets. And um, I think the, uh, but going back to the, the, also that ministry like of, of relation, meeting people right where he's at, I mean, he basically lays it out, though, that God has overlooked in times past human ignorance, but now um, he's revealing uh, the, righteousness, uh, the righteousness to the world. And so by a man he had appointed and has given assurance to all by the raising him from the dead. And so this God is not an abstraction, I think. And I see that in a lot in our culture. People talk about God as an abstraction almost. And what St. Paul is saying and what Christianity is saying is that God is not abstract. He's very, very specific. He is uh, Jesus whom we've all crucified and God has now raised him from the dead. And there isn't anybody in this world who cannot, they, they may not believe in this God but they cannot say that God has not acted in history or a God has not acted in history. And I think that's what Paul's point is. Um, here, one of the things in the Areopagus or the Areopagus is that, um, is that God has acted and uh, this God is calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. But he doesn't do that fire and brimstone from the top down. He does it relationally from the bottom up. Yeah, I mean, I know so many Christians who, when they find out somebody is a Buddhist or they, they do yoga, they immediately have to start telling them why they're wrong. But if you were St. Paul, you would not do that. If you were St. Paul, you would say, huh, that's really interesting. Tell me what you like about yoga. Huh, yeah. what, what drew you to Buddhism? Yeah. Find out what they're looking for and what's kinetic. And by the way, I'm not saying that <laughs> this is the episode where we say that everybody that does yoga <laughs> is going to hell. <laughs> There went the rest of our subscribers. No, I'm not. I'm just saying there are elements in the Christian world where people look at things and they kind of have a bit of a. I know what you're saying, Aaron. I know know what what you're saying. saying. And I'm still listening. And I, you know, and my yogi is, uh, what's, I have a YouTube person that I watch that helps me stretch it out. So anyways, uh, the, the thing here is Paul has this curious and respectful attitude towards the people to, with whom he's speaking, which comes from what Jesus Christ has done for him. Because again, you got to remember that Paul was killing 
Christians Mm -hmm. when Jesus came to him. So the old Paul that would have come in and hated everything he saw in Athens because it violates the Ten Commandments. It's, you know, no graven images. Paul would have been speaking in a place that is filled with statues of deities. And people would have had them in their houses, in their pockets, offering all kinds of things to them. But Paul comes in, instead of being judgmental and thinking he knows better, which, I mean, he does. He has this message to proclaim. But the way he comes in to say, actually... I was like you is is almost what's going on here because here he was thought he was right but actually he was going against God. So this now gives him humility to come into the Athenians and instead of saying you guys are wrong and let me tell you how he says you know there's something in here in which you are looking for something and I, let me help you let me help you here. And 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 he includes them in the conversation. Notice right. he he says for we too are his offspring. And he's yep. like, hey, man, since we're God's offspring, not like, well, man, if you really want to be like me, you better join my team. You know what I mean? He's like, no, man, we're mm-hmm. offspring. So we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone or an image found by an art, by the art and imagination of mortals. And why? Because those gods demand you to climb a ladder to them. That's how yep. human religion works. And he's like, man, we're all God's offspring here. You know what I mean? We're all so so. Let's not think like that anymore. It's, it's it's an inclusive approach. He's like, well, yeah. God has overlooked the times of human ignorance. Now he commands people everywhere to repent. But it's that it's that thing. And while I think, you know, I don't know if this was Paul's most successful evangelistic campaign. I mean, if you read on, most of the people are like, hmm, we'll think about it and come back to you later. You know, yeah. they're super intrigued because this is a different approach. This is a different yeah. approach. And you know, what the, the other thing that I love about this is Paul says, I notice you had an inscription to an unknown God. And what that notes about these people is that they were scared. Yeah. They were worried that they had overlooked a certain God. And they, were, they thought that gods were always looking either to exploit human beings for their own benefit, or that they were going to destroy human beings for their own capricious whims. And so the whole idea was to keep the gods happy, but as you say, kind of climbing a ladder to try to make gods happy. Um, so they were hedging their bets. That's why they had this altar to an unknown god, because yeah. they thought our relationship to a deity was primarily one based in fear. And this is what's so gracious about him, is that he sees that, and he uses that as an opening for mm. the gospel. And I just think it's a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, um, yeah. so it's this is a passage that uh, it's got a lot of historical content and maybe stuff that is kind of hard to to get into. But if you can, if you can, it's 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 really rich. And yeah. yeah, some of them. I mean, there are some that do become become believers here, which is pretty pretty amazing. Not not all of them, but but this is uh, this is the beginning of the of the church in Athens. So now, having burned through way too much time in Athens, let's move on. Um, we've and to first peter another letter so we're, we're very much in the days of the church post-resurrection post-pentecost the early days of the church so this account of paul in athens and then we come to first peter so this is peter later writing to churches that were the churches some of which were the ones that paul started mm-hmm. on this journey so we're kind of in the 50s 60s uh a.d and peter's writing to people under persecution now what what if you were preaching this jake what would you say well, there's so much here, and this is a this is as um, almost every commentator throughout time has said a tricky text to preach. Um, but the first thing you need to remember is that um, 
What Peter's doing here is, I mean, he's dealing with folks that are really, that are really suffering. And uh, maybe some of you are really suffering, but this is a church that is under massive persecution. It's being tempted to leave Christianity altogether. Uh, they've been exiled from their families. It's really tough. And, and he says, um, he goes, now, who will harm you if you're eager to do what is good? Well, um, uh, and, and the word there, eager to do what is good, that you could, the Greek word in that area is zealous to do what is good. And, uh, well, lots of people, you know, lots of people will harm you for your yeah. faith in Jesus. That's, the, that's the, what they say. And he knows that's their response. And so he goes, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Um, this begins to flip the way we think. So, for example, uh, the, God, the unknown God is the God who um, uh, is based on what you see. This is like they're doing the same thing, the platonic thing. So if things are good, I must be blessed. If things are bad, I must not be blessed. And he's like, no, no, no. If you suffer, even for doing what's right, you're blessed. Um, yeah. You know, it is salvation belongs to our God, it says in Psalm 3. And uh, the point is, is that, that it belongs to our God. And he gives it to you, whether things are good or whether things are bad. And so this is why St. Peter can say, do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Now, that's an interesting passage because that goes back to uh, the prophet Isaiah. And in 813, he says, regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. And so basically what, what, what Peter is saying here is, like, you know, there is nothing to fear because Christ has died for you. Christ is always on your side. And mm -hmm. so, um, and when you know that, well, you want to know more about this God. You want to know more about who he is. And he says, so be ready to make a defense. And essentially what that is, is that that's a, an apologetic. Be, be, know, as Whitehorse says, know what you believe and why you believe it. Um, and, uh, and when you know that, you know, Paul, I remember Paul Zoll used to tell us, he was like, you never want to be broad, really focus and hone in on the gospel. Because mm -hmm. when you can focus and hone in on the gospel, then you can be secure in what you believe. People who don't know what they believe, those are the ones who get really defensive really quick and everything becomes an attack. But when you know what you believe and you're rooted in this God, you know, you're, you're rude. You don't have to be intimidated because Jesus has died for you. Well, then you can approach people with gentleness and reverence. You can respect them. Your conscience is clear. Um, yeah, I've said quite a bit there, and there's so much to be said. But Aaron, what well, do you want to say? Well, I think, you know, this very much reflects what Paul does in Athens in the previous passage. Mm -hmm. He approaches yep. people with gentleness and with reverence or with respect, as you can see in other translations. Yeah, it's a bottom-up, uh, a bottom-up yeah. theology. And these days, often when you see Christians who feel themselves to be under attack, they do not respond with gentleness. Mm. They respond with kind of hubris, and they're indignant, and they're outraged. And I think uh, if that is the case, you've somewhere missed something along the way with mm -hmm. the gospel. Because if you look at how Jesus, and the model for all of this is Jesus Christ. When he is attacked, he doesn't open his mouth. And uh, this is uh, this is gives us the model. So Christians, yeah. uh, if you can rest in the fact that you are loved and saved, and you're no longer insecure about your faith, 
and about who you are as a person, then you won't feel attacked when somebody disagrees with you and you can respond with gentleness and respect. And this is where mm-hmm. where, where Peter's word is so good to us and, and in every age for the church to hear because um, if we suffer for doing good, that's actually a good thing. Like Christians, there's Christians who sometimes feel attacked because they can't do this, that, or the other. They can't pray in school. And it's and it says, no, it's actually, it's better to suffer. Yeah. You, sh- you shouldn't fight to get the Ten Commandments in, outside the courthouse. Yeah. You should you should gladly suffer um, because this is uh, what what Christ and, has done. So, and then he and then he reminds them why for Christ also suffered for sins right. once for all. Like right. he didn't he did, he actually is the only person who did nothing wrong. You actually and, deserve uh, to suffer. <laughs> yeah. You're an egotistical, self-absorbed <laughs> maniac who does I what know. you want and eats trans fats all day. Jesus, I mean, however, you are not me. But I, hey. uh, but uh, he says um, but he goes the righteous for the unrighteous in order That's to right. bring you to God in order to bring you to this moment where you'll actually let go of your rights. You know, yep. Christianity, I mean, I remember uh, a, a great guy, you know, he was like, rights, people talking about their rights sometimes, I mean, you know, like being right is it's just, it's, 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 it's wrong. And, yeah. uh, and so... It's not uh, a biblical, it's not a Christian idea. Yeah, you can actually let go. And, uh, and actually, um, you're, you're free to allow other people to be wrong. You don't and have Saint to Paul win says, every why argument. Not, why not rather be wrong? You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. So. And, and the truth is, is that this is true in every area of life. In, in losing, we, fought, we actually win oftentimes. Just think about every relation, argument you've had with your spouse. Uh, yeah. You know, have you ever actually really won when you really won? Uh, and if no. you win, yeah, you've, you've actually lost. You, so, they always say you can be right or you can have a relationship. But this segues into a very interesting part where he was like, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive Ooh. in the spirit. Now, this is tricky, and uh, I'm kind of with Martin Luther on this one. He said, um, he says, you know... Uh, well, you didn't even get to the tricky, weird part. The weird oh, part yeah. is not that he died and was raised in the flesh. It's when it says that he then went in former times to make a proclamation to That's the spirits right. in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark. Yeah. So Luther says, Luther says, this is a wonderful text. And a more obscure passage, perhaps, than any other in the New Testament. So that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. However, Aaron Zimmerman, being who Aaron Zimmer is, he knows exactly what it means. And what does it mean, Aaron? <clears throat> well, there are several interpretations, Jake. Uh, there's one <laughs> that this is Jesus going to preach to everybody in hell to let them have a second chance to get out. That's what some people believe. I think that's not, this is a little bit too specific for, I mean, I don't know if that happens or not, but the, clearly that's not what this passage is about because he's very specific about Noah, connecting this to the Noah story. And now, well, you have to know there's a there is a whole kind of extra biblical tradition. These stories from the Old Testament about angelic beings. It gets mentioned really briefly in Genesis six. Do not preach on this. Do not get bogged down on it. It's fascinating. It who knows? But basically the idea where the angels come down from heaven and have sex with ladies and have giant babies and then God has to go in there and clean things up. And uh you can see it referred to if you see the Noah movie with uh yeah. Russell Russell is Russell Crowe playing yep, Noah Russell there and Crow, Anthony yeah. Hopkins mm-hmm. as Tubal Cain. Anyways, so there is a whole part of Jewish tradition that talks about that. And so some people think that what this is about is Jesus going to preach to the angelic beings that that's who the spirits are and they're imprisoned because the because they were naughty during the times of Noah. That's one tradition. I don't think that has, I mean, that's so 
subjective and so kind of out there and your congregation will get completely lost in the weeds on that one. So don't go there. The other interpretation, which I think is a better one, is that Jesus was preaching Jesus in the spirit, as he says in verse uh, uh, 18, Jesus is alive in the spirit, that he went and preached to people in Noah's day, uh, either through Noah or through a prophet. Uh, and um, when when God was doing this work through Noah, building the ark, and Jesus preached to those people who were imprisoned in their lack of faith during that time. I think those are two, those are two interpretations. Pay your money, take your choice. I think the big idea here is that Jesus preaches to people uh, so that they would be saved, and a few mm-hmm. people were, and they were saved through baptism in water, or they saved through water, which points us to baptism. So the whole idea, again, is just Jesus comes to preach to you to offer salvation, and that is connected to baptism. Interesting side note, if you take a look at um, fonts in old churches, maybe the font in your old Episcopal church, it is typically either shaped in the form of an ark or it is shaped in the form of an octagon, representing the eight people who were saved uh, through water. And so, what do you have um, at Calvary St. George's? Uh, we have an arc-shaped, um, uh, an arc-shaped uh, baptismal font. So and at St. Albans Waco, we have an octagon. So we got we cover so, all the bases. It's really exciting. So, but that's an interesting fun <laughs> fact. And so, uh, but th- this uh. is the interesting thing. So, um, you know, and I am. As a you know, as a as a as a good evangelical, I'm profoundly offended by uh, this this notion that baptism saves Verse you. Verse twenty one uh, and baptism, not, which this prefigured, now saves you. What? Do not do not take it up with Jake. Take it up with Saint Peter. And that's so that's right. what I always tell people. I'm deeply offended by this, but take it up hey, with Saint hey Peter. Hey, listeners who are in Waco, Texas, and know uh, what it is <laughs> yeah. to live in Baptist Landia, this is the text which uh, people like me will use as a proof text to clobber you yeah. if you ever say that <laughs> baptism is unnecessary and uh, we do it because Jesus said to, but we don't know why. And it doesn't, yeah, you know, no. what saves you is your faith in Christ. So here, here's what John Stott, the great English evangelical, said. He said, salvation in Christ comes about through we I mean what God has done for us and that that our appropriation or response or embrace of that is by putting our faith in Christ and by getting baptized the order does not matter both have to happen biblically speaking and he would point to passages like this where very and the you know the reformers would have looked at the same thing so uh and you have to do considerable gymnastics to get over peter's language here about <clears throat> baptism which saves you does that mean that jake and i think that we should just go around with holy water just throwing it on suckers out there on the street like nacho libre does with the skeleto in uh, in nacho libre where he comes up behind him with a bucket of water <laughs> it's <and just> great <laughs> like ambushes him and is like Praise the Lord! And butt push, pushes his face in the water. No, that's not what we're saying. Baptism is not some magic trick. Yes, we affirm the call that we put our faith in Christ. But uh, but Peter here seems to go farther than a lot of our evangelical or Baptist brothers and sisters. He does say baptism saves you. How this all fits he, with everything? He, he, he was the first pope. Podcast. He was. So, but, uh, he was. He was <laughs> no, the uh, disciple. I think... I think um, you know, the point is, is that, and this is an interesting fun fact, another fun fact for people, is that um, prior to about like um, uh, 1850, nobody on the planet Earth would have said they became a Christian because they made a personal decision for Jesus. Like right. nobody did. People appeal, I am a Christian because I am baptized. 
That's how you knew why, because baptism was outside of you. Um, and uh, it was the gospel, God's word attached and, and given to you in an ordinary mean, because even Christians have known that life is so subjective. This is an interesting thing that I'm encountering. I don't know about you, Aaron, but as I call people, especially because we're in such quarantine, a lot of folks, because their Christianity was so subjective, they're like, I don't know where God is. You know, and you're like, okay, well, don't keep looking from within. Look mm. when you were baptized and then know that God gave you a promise there so you can suffer well, you know, and, um, and this is what, so the point is, is that this just doesn't wash off dirt. This isn't just some kind of some sort of thing we do because, hey, why not? This is actually our appeal to God for a good conscience. Yeah. God is for me because something happened to me. I may That's not right. remember it because I was two months old or I may remember it, but because I was, you know, 37. But man, a good conscience. Why? Because through the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers made subject to him. That is my appeal. I am baptized. That's, That's right. enough and on he, that. Well, one of the other great Jacob uh, Smith quotes, and you're a preacher, so you probably stole this from somebody else anyways, yeah, but I've heard you say it, and it was uh, when someone asked you when you were saved, you said, 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem. Like, it's yeah. an external thing. It's not, you know, if it's all dependent on our faith, uh, it, it's, that is, man, that is a flimsy tightrope to walk, because mm. you will come to a day in your life when your faith is hanging on by a thread or maybe just evaporates. But the fact that you are saved by something outside of you, that it holds you. It's not dependent on you to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. This is uh, such a gracious word to people, especially in time of suffering. Uh, and so he, he's done this for you and you are, you are saved. Um, that's right. And uh, yeah. So anyways, yep. that's the word on First Peter. Talk about angels sleeping with women and you'll just, your congregation will be spellbound. <laughs> That's the yeah, point of this passage. Yeah, stick to that. Stick to that. That's, that's, so that's much the cooler. real meat. Okay, don't read the book of Enoch. Okay, John 14. Great passage, well-known. Uh, right before this is that passage, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and he begins here with an if statement that to some people it sounds scary. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like some sort of codependent bad girlfriend yeah. you're in a relationship <laughs> with. Like if you really love me, you yeah. would take me out for dinner or whatever. Yeah. So um, how do how do you understand this, Jacob? Well, um, you know, the, uh, the point here is, is at first is that love always comes before um, before any command keeping. But you got to remember that the command here is not like the Old Testament law. This is just, this is another description. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And the commands are, uh, do this in remembrance of me. This is in the context of the Last Supper. Uh, the commands are, go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, these are these are the commands of the new covenant, um, and so and they are preceded always. These actions are preceded by the love that we have for Jesus. Yeah, and John's gospel obviously is also the one where just a few chapters before this, uh, Jesus is asked, "What must we do? What's the work that we must do to be saved?" And Jesus says, "The work is to believe in the one God has sent. Believe in me. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's sort of like if you love me, if you have known." 
the grace and compassion and pardon that I just keep flinging on everybody I meet, and you've received that too, you will continue to hold on to that grace and mercy and pardon and forgiveness that I keep flinging on everybody I meet. This is the commandment, is to hold on to Jesus, to continue mm-hmm. to do this in remembrance of him. Uh, and and that that's that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And, in, and, then and even he, more, yeah. And Go then ahead. he goes on, well, then he goes on to say what he's going to do. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's it's but it's not like if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and then you'll do this and then you'll do that and then you'll do this and then you'll do that. It's like and then I'm going to ask the father and he will give you another at another the paraclete and uh, to be with you forever. You know, I'm going to didn't say Jake, you didn't say parakeet. This isn't a small bird. Mm. This is the this is the one who is called uh, who speaks on your behalf, who is the one who who helps you. The one, you know, if you had any problems in keeping the commandments of God, this this advocate will work and do it in you and through you. It's yeah. like it's mm-hmm. all done. It's like saying there's going to be a test and also here are all the answers. Yeah. It's and he's the spirit of truth, basically. The world can't receive him. There it is. Uh, uh, but it ni- because it neither sees him nor knows him, and so it can't receive him. And you know this should engender grace within you. Um, and uh, this this is not a this is not a uh, statement that should engender like ha ha we're better. It should engender a spirit of grace so that we can handle people in gentleness. We can approach them where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. And so and uh, you know him though because he abides with you and he will be in you. Uh, you know and so there it is. Um, yeah. And I think here there's such a powerful word at a time in which we cannot meet as we normally did. In our tradition, as you know, it's been the practice for about 40 years to have communion every Sunday, and sometimes more often than that. Only 40. So only 40 years, people. <laughs> Pre-1979, morning prayer three times a month. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, we are a tradition that has been Eucharistic and sacramental, and that has been meaningful to a lot of people for a long time. And I see on Facebook lots of conversations and on the other social meds about... I wish we could take communion. I wish we could be together. And uh, and yeah, I get that. I totally understand it. But but look here, kids. Uh, there's the the church is not unfamiliar with times of being separated. Jesus says, uh, "You will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live." And he says, "I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you." And you don't have to. Actually, this is true right now, listener, as you're seated wherever you are, as you're gardening, as you're uh, you're snuck into the bathroom to get some time away from your kids and you're just delving a little bit in this podcast. Whatever you're doing, this is true now. I am in my Father, Jesus says, and you and me and I in you. And this is not um, dependent on time and space and what your church is doing. Now, this is I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't also say, as it does, to continue meeting together. And when you get together to do what Jesus said to do, take bread and break it and say, do this in remembrance of me. Um, But I just want people to know that even in this time of distance and separation, which Jesus here talks about, I'm not, you're not going to see me. Nevertheless, I will not leave you orphaned and you are with me. I am in you. You are in me. We're all in the father. And now you get a chance to experience this people. Mm. And know that it's true even if you don't feel like it. It is true, always, because of what Jesus has said here. Absolutely. And, um, um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, this has been a chatty episode here, Aaron. Um, I think, I uh, I think this is a good We've got nothing to else to do. Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> um, I'm thinking about that hymn, Christ is Alive, um, Let Christians Rejoice. Do you know that one? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I know that TJ, one. I was just singing it, I think. TJ, put it in here. <laughs> yeah. Um, TJ's our sound guy who also does miracles with uh, the audio engineering of this uh, podcast. So if you can put it in here, TJ, you're hearing us. No, but... Uh, Christ is alive, let Christians sing. And uh, the verse is... Um, oh, crap. Um... <laughs> Can, do you think TJ can edit this? TJ can edit the heck out of all this stuff, man. He can do it. He's, the man's a genius. Yes. So back to what you were saying, Aaron, about this idea that, um, you know, that, that Christ is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. And those who have kept my commandments, those love me and those who love me will be loved by my father and I will love them and I will reveal myself to them. He won't ever leave us. And that's the good thing because he's given us that paraclete. And I'm thinking about that uh, profound hymn, Christ is Alive, Let Christians Sing, because it really has a great line in there. And if you'd read that for me, because my computer keeps freezing. Uh, yeah. The third verse about him no longer being attached to Palestine. Yeah, and what's amazing, by the way, about this is this hymn was written in the 60s after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., um, written in 1968. And so it's, you know, may think it's old because it has an old tune, but man, it is... it. Um, it's relatively contemporary and is, is a beautiful thing, exactly what you're talking about. So verse 2, we sang this on Easter Sunday at St. Albans. Christ is alive, no longer bound to distant years in Palestine, but saving, healing, here and now, and touching every place and time. Yeah, and I think that that this is a good place if you're preaching your sermon to wrap up is that it's good for Jesus to have died and risen and ascended because now he's not just tied somewhere. He's with you everywhere and uh, he's with you in quarantine. He's with you in the communion of saints when you gather in church around a table where you can have bread and wine. He's with you now in water when you were baptized and you point back to that. Uh, not just to wash off dirt, but indeed for a clear conscience. So Christ has given you his promise, and that promise comes to us in the form of the paraclete, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to see, starting next week, all of our readings drive towards that, the Ascension and Pentecost. Preach it, brother. Well, I think that'll do it for today. Amen, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.